we're on. Hey, good morning, everybody. If you are hanging out in the lobby, I invite you to come inside here, join us. We are going to get the service started. My name is Grant. And I'm Amanda. And if this is your first time here, a really special welcome to you. Um, we'd like to get to know you better. So drop us a line at hello at cedarvalley.ca. And if you're watching online, just comment on there so we know you're watching. Mm -hmm. And just a reminder for everyone to just make sure you're following our uh, social media channels. We're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, where we have uh, a whole kids kind of ministry online so you can engage in that kind of stuff if you're at home. Uh, or head to our website, cedarvalley.ca, sign up for our weekly email newsletter. Yeah, lots of information there. And when you're at our website, cedarvalley.ca, um, that's a really good place to give. You can also give here. So we're just so thankful for all the generous giving and the faithfulness because it's such a blessing as we continue our ministries here at Cedar Valley and in mission. So we have a couple things, or actually just one big thing we want to let you know about coming up here. Yes, Camp Squia. We're doing it again. Finally, it's going to be such a great weekend. So that's happening May 13th through 15th. Um, it's just a really great time to gather as a church and get to know each other better and actually spend time together rather than just quick hellos on Sunday mornings. Um, so if you would like to register, you can do that on our website or here um, at church. So just find somebody with a lanyard and they can help you. I'll get that figured out. Totally. And uh, we are working on trying to get a bus to head up for Sunday. Uh, for those of you who might want to just join us up for Sunday morning, because we are going to be doing the Sunday morning service up at Camp Squia in Hope. And so we're still working on that. Uh, let us know if you're interested in that. But actually, especially if you're thinking of heading up on just Sunday and you would be able to give some other people a ride, let the office know so we can start making those connections. That would be fantastic. Because we want to just join together, have a great time. And I think the most important thing, too, is we're getting close to the date. So we need registrations and uh, payment secures the room that you're in. Otherwise, we'll throw you in the cabin at the far end, which is a very long walk from the bathrooms. <laughs> All right, we're going to get this service started here, so we just welcome you to join us in worship. The lyrics will be here on the screen, so just stand, sit, however you feel comfortable. Yeah, after that, and after that, we'll be dismissing the kids, uh, so ages four to grade six, to head off to a special service designed just for you. There is uh, prayer and activities. I think this activity involves food this morning, so maybe a bit of a spoiler, but super fun as you just engage in that stuff downstairs. And this morning, we have our nursery open. It's supervised. It's a great place to just hang out uh, in a safe space. So parents, if you just you know want a break from entertaining and soothing your little infant or toddler, uh, our nursery is up. So that is at the back corner of the lobby and that's up the stairs but you also have to sign in too so just find someone wearing a lanyard we'll help you out we'll make sure everything is all good and squared up there all right and then pastor grant is going to bring us a message an easter message about the resurrection and empty tomb which is really um, the most significant thing that we celebrate during easter all right let's start with prayer lord jesus there are no words to say you have so much love for us and we don't even really understand how much love but you demonstrated that for us when you died on the cross and showed your power by rising again on the third day. And that hope gives us um, an understanding that one day we too can rise again. Please be with us this morning. I pray that you would anoint the message uh, and that your Holy Spirit would be working and touching each heart here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, 
think we uh, all are waiting for, we already did this at the morning service, but uh, uh, is it Rob Ross that he organizes or part of organizing our, our community service uh, at Heritage Park? I just encourage you guys next year to come, come out to that. I know we often do it on the hill, but there's something about gathering together as a community of churches that is just, there is so much power in community and often we look intrinsically too often. And um, so I, I, I just was really appreciative of the, of the people that organized that this morning. It's a great time of worship. And uh, he, he was telling just a, a little bit about a particular moment in history when people pro proclaimed the name of Jesus despite great suffering. And uh, the thing that they said, the statement that they said that we're so familiar with is, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen to that. Um, we're going to start with music this morning. It's a form of just worship that we enter in. It's an emotional thing that we do. There's, there's something about uh, music that just connects, connects with humans, with people. And, and so I ask for you to join us this morning as we sing. And if you want to stand and if you want to lift your hands and if you just want to... That cross, that empty cross is just so powerful an image but to imagine Christ hanging on the cross like that, it's just an unbelievable thing to imagine. But the fact that it's empty this morning is a beautiful symbol of his sacrifice. So please join with us this morning and stand.
death for the sake of me, for the sake of us, that gift of sacrifice and forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. from heaven you came. 
we invite you here and we offer this to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving through this congregation, through this community. Let us be your hands and your feet. God, I pray this in your name. Amen.
pray this in Jesus' name. And the people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for singing with us this morning. You need finding the eggs. There's still some, I'm sure. The high one's up where the kids can reach. We found the jelly beans. There we go. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to invite all the kids up front a little bit. You can, there's even some chairs here if you want. Bring your Easter eggs with you because I want to tell you about something in them if you got it. Oh, hey, Jack. How's it going? Yeah. Hey, sweet. Did you open any of those? I, you opened most of them. <laughs> you opened all of them. Okay, here's the thing I'm going to ask, okay? So actually, you guys, you guys can sit down here for a sec, okay? I want to share a story with you. I don't think you need any more, but does anybody need the jelly beans? You need, you've got two bags full of Easter eggs? Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, those are your brothers. Okay. I want to apologize to the parents, but I don't. Enjoy the sugar. Okay, here's the thing. I just need to see real hands real quick. Who has the jelly beans out? Anybody have the jelly beans? You've got them? Okay, who doesn't? Okay. You're going you're gonna to need these, okay? You're going to need the jelly beans. Yeah. You probably have some, and that's great, because then you can tell your friends all about this, what it means. We have lots. There's so many. There's so many jelly beans. There we go. Anybody else want some? Who did I miss? Wanda? You good? <laughs> Ooh. I want some. There you go. Okay, here's the thing, guys, all right? So here, listen up for a sec, okay? Do you see that they're all different colors? So we actually thought it would be great to tell you a story about what these colors represent, okay? So here's the thing, you can open them, and we can eat these through already, right? Just to get you really amped up for the teachers downstairs, so they're ready to go. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so... If you find the green one, grab the green jelly bean. That green one's first. I'm going to enjoy them myself, too. You're all missing out. The green jelly bean means, and it represents the palm branches, because before this whole Easter thing happened that we're talking about, when Jesus came into town, he came into Jerusalem for this big festival, and everyone was waving palm branches and celebrating. They are so excited that he came in, and they were saying, Hosanna, praise the Lord. Now see if you can find the purple one. Do you want this one, Ben? There you go. The purple one represents royalty because Jesus wore a robe because everyone was celebrating him like he was their king. That's why they were so excited that he was coming to town because he was their king, right? And when the king comes in, you throw a parade and you celelebrate. So then there's a purple jelly bean. Yeah. Now, see if you can find the brown one. It's got some speckles on it too. Yeah. Now, the brown one. Because see, here's the thing. People celebrated Jesus when he was coming in. But there was also a lot of people who were not happy about Jesus. They were not happy about all the things he said and did. So now here's the thing. Eat the brown jelly bean. Enjoy it. I don't know if the camera could see Trevor's face. Because he did not like it. No, it's not that flavored. It is coffee flavored, which... It doesn't taste very good. Hey, it's not, that's not a very good flavor. Oh, that's like a coffee chino. 
Because see, the brown jelly bean represents the cross because all the people who really didn't like Jesus, the thing is they were totally against him and they wanted him gone. So they charged him, they arrested him, and then they put him up on the cross. And then if you find the red jelly bean. The red one represents the blood Jesus shed because on the cross he died. And he died for all of you and for me and for everybody here out of love, but it still was so tragic, and that was the blood. So the red one represents his blood. So orange is next. You can find the orange one. The orange one represents the sky because that night the sky turned dark and it was dark for way longer than it should have been overnight. It was like there was a huge eclipse, but it went dark for the whole time when Jesus died. There was an earthquake at one point, but the next one is the black jelly bean. The, and I think, yeah, you said it, didn't you? It represents the tomb. The darkness of the tomb where Jesus' body lay. Then the pink one's next, okay? The pink is for the new day because here's the thing. Jesus rose from the grave three days later. And you get this beautiful color, the pink one, right? And everyone out in the crowd said amen. There we go. There's so many narrators in here, I love it. This should just be the sermon. I, don't, I can get rid of my notes. The yellow one's next, guys. Grab the yellow one next. The yellow one represents the bright sunshine because it, just like this morning, it was so bright and sunny and you know what? All week we thought it was going to be rainy and dark and for so many days it was just dark when Jesus was, was, when he died and he was in the tomb. But then the yellow one was for the sunshine on Easter morning because the white one is the last one, all right? This one's very special if you found it. Who's kept up with all these jelly beans? Just a mouthful of sugar. You know, it could represent so many things because what, it, what we have here is that it represents when the angel said, there's an angel outside the tomb, and he told all the people who came to see the empty tomb, he said, Jesus is alive. And you get the white one. How exciting is that? So now that you're all ready to go, and you know what, you're probably going to want to leave your Easter candy with your parents. In fact, we'll ask you to do that. But you can head to the back corner, okay, parents? If your kids don't have a name tag or you don't have a name tag slip, uh, make sure they're signed in. Otherwise, we will hang on to them and use them as free labor for the week. Thanks, Tyson. But other than that, they're going to be heading down. If you're joining us online, our YouTube page has a full lesson for the kids. Uh, you can engage in the faith conversations at home. All right? And then we're just going to get going on with the rest of the service. Yeah. Very early that Sunday morning, the women made their way to the tomb, carrying the spices they had prepared. Arriving at the tomb, they discovered that the huge stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside. So they went in to look, but the tomb was empty. The body of Jesus was gone. They, they stood, stood there, there, stunned and perplexed. 
Suddenly, two men appeared above them in dazzling white robes, shining like lightning. Terrified, the women fell to the ground on their faces. The men in white said to them, Why would you look for the living one in a tomb? He is not here, for he has risen. Leaving the tomb, they went to break the news to the eleven and to all the others of what they had seen and heard. When the disciples heard the testimony of the women, it, it made, made no, no sense, sense. And, and they, they were, were unable, unable to, to believe what they heard. But Peter jumped up and ran the entire distance to the tomb to see for himself. Stooping down, he looked inside and discovered it was empty. There was only the linen sheet lying there. Amen. He is risen. And if that was a new experience for you, that chant, that's something that you maybe haven't heard before, uh, it's because this weekend we are celebrating what we trust in the scriptures to be true, what we have seen and heard and uh, has been passed down on through centuries of testimony that Jesus rose from the grave. So for nearly 2,000 years, Christians all around the world have been saying to each other, greeting each other on this very special day. And now that you have the warning for it, and we've done it a few times this morning, you can join in when I say, He is risen. There's not much more to say, hey? That's pretty much it. I'd like, have a great week. Go in peace. I have a few more notes here. It's okay. But this is, this is the defining moment for Christianity. This is a big week, and this is the, the big focal point. And I wonder if any of you have kind of a defining moment story in your life. Something where everything just came together. Hopefully there's even more than just one, but some, something where everything just came together. You know, you got to prove yourself the circumstances, the timing, everything. You got to show people what kind of person you really are, what's important to you, what your passions are all about. A defining moment. I have a story for you, and you can judge if it was my defining moment or not. When I was in high school, one summer, I got the opportunity to go on a missions trip to Nigeria uh, over the summer and with my older sister at the time and an organization that was connected to uh, my church. And I was about 14 years old, so when this idea was presented to me, I, I didn't respond super positively because I thought, couldn't this be during the school year, right? Like, this is my summer. I, I want to hang out and party and just do whatever with my friends and go to the skate park and... I don't, like, let's do this when I don't have to do homework or something, right? Like, give me the excuse, and then I'll go to Africa. That's fine. But after some, you know, encouragement and prayer and devotional time, uh, I, I felt the call, and I felt convinced both through my own passion and from some other people around me that I would go give up my summer of playing around and probably driving my parents crazy. And I heard my dad laughing over there. <laughs> and go to, go to Nigeria for the summer. So after a few months of meeting, this was uh, quite a ways before, of meeting, prayer meeting, some training, and we were talking about just the ministries and stuff we were going to be doing, uh, we had this one big banquet dinner, this one big kind of support, thank you for all the sponsors, all the people involved in the trip, and that was where we just got to really share what the trip was all about, and then all of us uh, who were on the team got the opportunity to stand up front in front of, there's like hundreds of people, and share our hearts of what we were why we felt called onto this trip, why we wanted to do it, and how we could be so thankful for the support. So my older sister, she's got about five years on me. She was up before me. She had put some more thought into what she was going to say, a bit more prepared, a bit more experienced in life. 
but I was running on passion, right? I was ready to go. I, I didn't care. I'm going to wing it. Uh, this is my moment to prove myself because I'm giving up my summer for this trip, right? This is a big deal. So when it's my turn, I head up to the mic, and suddenly the pressure's on, and there's the lights and the amplified sound system, and I hold the mic, and my 14-year-old brain nervously starts stuttering up. Hi, I'm Lisa's sister. I mean, I mean... Lisa, who's just, I'm, she's my sister, and I, I don't care about skateboarding. I want to go to, thanks for letting me go to Africa. <laughs> oh, man. Suffice to say, that was not my defining moment. There were some other ones, though. That mostly just let me know that I did not want to make public speaking a career and do it on a weekly basis. There are some good moments, though. I, I have some, I can, and I hope you can look through them, but when I was Thinking on this moment, defining moments, there's actually so many more I could think of times where I didn't quite come up fully. I came up short, or even things where I would actually think, like, this was a really important moment, but it actually wasn't just me. It was because of the support or encouragement of somebody else pouring in. It wasn't due to just my abilities. Now, the empty tomb Jesus raised from the grave, this is the defining moment for Christianity because... God doesn't ask us to pull off something impossible and miraculous and incredible, something like raising from the dead, where all other religions and ideas in the world require and expect sacrifice and penance from you to figure out and balance out the guilt. They require retribution to balance out evil and sin in the world. Instead, this weekend we celebrate because God provided himself as a sacrifice. It's the defining moment because it's about the work that God did for us, and it worked. It wasn't just a kid stuttering up on the stage with a microphone. This was a massive thing that happened. And I was thinking to myself this weekend, if you had to describe Christianity to a friend, like, what is this thing? You know, what's your church stuff all about? What's Jesus all about? I, I know there's a lot of answers that we come up with. We say stuff like, it's a set of good teachings. It's, it's you know, one of the best set of teachings. If you do stuff this way, or maybe it's a a, a set of rules for how to live, right? And they all have their own meaning and reason, and there's a science behind it, right? It's how you should do stuff. Or maybe it's a, like a cultural origin story or a specific worldview or a philosophy, maybe even just a, a governing style of how you should run a society. Those things might have some truth in the Bible and the gospel message, but that's not actually it. How you should start off, how you should describe Christianity is, is a historical moment, it's an event. It's something that actually happened. And it's beautiful, the resurrection of Jesus. C.S. Lewis famously said that while people often agree that Jesus was a good teacher and a wise man, if Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead, he can't be any of those other things. He is either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. Everything centers on this day, on the resurrection and its legitimacy. Otherwise, it falls apart and it's meaningless. Christmas is a beautiful story of God coming into the world and both humble and disruptive, but Easter signifies the real defeat of sin and death. It's the work that God promised Abraham, the curse he placed on Satan in the Garden of Eden. This is the fulfillment of all of those things happening. So when we read the gospel accounts, all four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the New Testament of the Bible, recalling the angel rolling the stone away, the guards fainting, the women coming to mourn and finding the grave empty, Jesus meeting the disciples on the road, the, uh, being fully risen and renewed. It's a beautiful story, even, even just in the fantasy sense, but it needs to be legitimized. 
because it leaves Christianity vulnerable. And this is a beautiful thing, actually, about this faith in Jesus, is it's vulnerable. It's unique. All other philosophies and ideas have these, they don't require a specific historical event to stay legitimate, but Christianity does. The gospel puts it out there uh, saying that prove this wrong, and otherwise it doesn't matter, right? It says everything we think and know and understand about the world and life, Jesus rises from the dead and disrupts all of that, so come test it. So this morning we're going to do a little bit of that. It might be a little bit of a study, it might be a bit of a focal point, maybe take some notes, right? Welcome to my class here. Author and pastor Mark Clark lists five categories of evidence that make a strong case to believe that the resurrection isn't just a great idea and notion of sentiment, but something that actually happened. And I think it's important. If you've been a believer your whole life, it's important to know these things, to understand how important it is. If you're skeptical, if you push back, if you think it's just a great idea and Jesus is just a fun hippie guy who says love each other, you need to actually know that this was real and it happened. So there's five things here. First one is the medical and historical evidence that Jesus really did die. A common skeptical explanation for this whole resurrection thing for the empty tomb, a lot of uh, people have put up through history saying that Jesus never really died. It was thousands of years ago, so, you know, these simple people didn't really understand advanced medical science. Jesus was just knocked out, and he was kind of coming in and out of consciousness, and a couple days later got up and just did not want to hang out with those people anymore, so he took off. It's one explanation, but there's some responses to this for why that doesn't make enough sense or any sense at all. The first big one is this thing called chronological snobbery, which says essentially because we're further along in the timeline of history, everything before is, is dumber than us. They didn't know better. They didn't understand. Chronological snobbery by both religious scholars and non-religious scholars all around the world dismiss it as not a good way of study and not a good way of understanding the past. When you boil it down here, it's, it's death. 2,000 years ago, people understood death. They understood what not breathing, what heart not beating meant and what it looked like. 5,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago. So they understood death. The second point is that history shows us that the Romans were excellent when it came to killing. They were experts at this. The Roman Empire rose to such immense world power because of their military might and ruthless skill in execution and crucifixion specifically as we're told the way that jesus was executed was commonly used to execute criminals and revolutionaries because it was absolute and effective and horrific and humiliating in fact the word excruciating that we use all the time comes directly from the crucifixion it it's the latin root ex and the word cruciare which means out of the cross so pain like from the cross what this would really be like, using that example, if they just didn't know that if he was actually dead or not, would be like us taking a look back in our near history here, say it like a failed banquet dinner that this church threw, and saying it was because the food sucked, right? That must have been it. Those Mennonites don't know how to cook. They probably forgot all the cream and butter. Are you a little bit offended? It doesn't work, right? Beyond just the four gospel accounts, other non-religious and historical documents record the execution and crucifixion of Jesus, noted in Josephus' Antiquities, a non-religious book at the time called The Revolutionary, who claimed to be the king of the Jews, was crucified. So then the second and kind of third point, these blend together a bit, 
is the fact that there is a missing body and an empty tomb. Another explanation I've heard to dismiss the resurrection of Jesus, you often see this one in common threads uh, and Reddit forums, you know, places of high intellectual debate and dialogue, uh, is just that the body was stolen. That's the explanation. But what I love about this theory is it's also something that was recorded directly in all of the Gospels. It was the first thing that uh, Mary and Thomas thought is the first thing that a few of the disciples thought, that somebody stole the body. The Gospel writers included this because they said any average Joe probably maybe figures this out. In fact, even Jesus' enemies, uh, their first response when they heard that the tomb was empty was they said, let's start that rumor because we don't want this to get out. So somebody stole the body, right? And in fact, even at the time Jesus, before all of this happened, the resurrection, Jesus' enemies were worried about something like this going on. So they told the Roman authorities at the time and said, hey, you know, make sure nothing happens. So they rolled a big stone in front of the tomb, bit overkill, posted some guards in front of the tomb to make sure that didn't happen. So in the Bible, we get something that kind of pushes back against this right out of there. But admittedly, these points take a bit of trust in the gospel account, in the Bible, as actually legitimate and historical documents. So I think that's also worth proving here, too. So I just want to share a little bit of why the gospels specifically in the Bible are often taken by historians and scholars as likely legitimate. And a few unique details about that. The first is the fact that there's four different accounts, plus similarities through all of the letters in the New Testament. There's so many different accounts of it of the same story, all written at different times throughout history by different authors in different dialects from different places, all saying the same story. But then the fact that they're not word-for-word replicas. Any investigator will say the first red flag in an interrogation is when you hear a memorized script where everything is exactly this way, point by point. means something is being trying to be covered up. But actually, what provides a very legitimate story is when The context is the same, but it's clearly from a different point of view. So some of the small, non-essential details sometimes vary. Throughout the Gospels, one Gospel says there was a angel. Another Gospel says there was two angels. One Gospel says this person kind of talked to them first, but then went there, and they say the exact same story, and events happened with some small details altered, actually provides the legitimacy of these accounts. A third point is the fact that the Gospels use so many details Because we actually often think sometimes, you know, like the Bible was written for us just to talk about it 2,000 years later in Mission BC in Canada. But that actually, that wasn't even the initial intent. It impacts us and it's true and important for us. But it was also written back then for the people who were alive at the time of all of this happening or had family and relatives that were alive at this. So they include names and places and locations and saying, literally go ask them. Jesus was buried in this guy's land in a tomb over here, and they saw this person, and this, they saw the, the guards. Go talk to them and hear from themselves. So including details like that was bold, and it left it also vulnerable. And lastly, by all accounts, this whole crucifixion thing is a bit of an embarrassing, theologically bizarre thing to include if you're trying to start up a conspiracy religion. See, their savior was beaten and executed in one of the most brutally humiliating ways imaginable, and the first reports of Jesus' resurrection come from women who at the time had no credibility. All of these embarrassing mistakes by Jesus' number one disciples doubting him and not recognizing him and making mistakes and ignoring Jesus, 
were included in this. It's a bit of an embarrassing story. I even love where John 20, uh, 29 says, Jesus tells his doubting disciples, have you only just now believed because you have seen and touched me? Better or blessed is he who believes by faith. Kind of challenges them, pushes them back, but these things were all included. So the gospels are actually accounts that are quite legitimate in the context of history. And another point to ponder for the empty tomb and the missing body is just the fact that uh, a, resurrected, a resurrected Jesus was a big disruption to Jerusalem and the rest of the Roman Empire, and it could have easily been dismissed by ordering an investigation and a recovery of the body, because remember, the Jews at the time were a minority group under persecution from the Roman Empire. It would have, wouldn't have broken a sweat to just get in there, recover the body. So while many other religious dynasties and ideas in the world, you can go and visit their founders, you can go visit the gravesite of their prophets and leaders. Christianity, people spend thousands of dollars to go see the empty tomb, and they celebrate because the fact is, if the bones of Jesus are ever found, it all falls apart. Okay, we'll speed up here a little bit. Uh, I know, super cool data, right? Hopefully you're taking notes. It's good. There's libraries on this kind of stuff, and I would love to recommend you some books or reading if you're interested in it. If not, it's still very important stuff to know. Um, uh, the fourth piece here, because there's five, right? So the fourth piece is the evidence of Jesus' appearance to hundreds of people. And they're all reported. And it wasn't just, people didn't just assume Jesus was alive because the tomb was empty. There are testimonies in Scripture and beyond of people claiming they saw and met and talked with Jesus. And in non-religious literature, again, Flavius Josephus records that those who came to follow and be called disciples, um, he's referring to, uh, to Jesus, a man who Josephus did not believe was the Messiah, did not believe in his power, but he called him a man who did amazing acts. He says, so those who came to follow and be called his disciples, they did not abandon his discipleship after execution and reported seeing him three days later. This was a massively countercultural thing to do. You didn't just make up the fact that people were uh, dead and then alive again. Because even in what was a more common thought at the time, there was this idea that there was a separation of uh, earthly stuff, the flesh and spirit, this like stuff of after and, and when everything earthly was this like temporal, bad flesh stuff, but the spirit was this like forever good place and you didn't go from one to the other. You, like nobody wanted to be back from the dead. Even in Greek mythology, Apollo was punished for bringing a child back from the, de from the dead, trying to resurrect him. And there was many other claimed messiahs before and after Jesus' time who gathered quite a following, but when they died or were more likely killed, either the, the whole movement died as well or somebody else took their place, but nobody was saying that this man who was dead was now alive again. Lastly is the meteoric rise of the early church. After their leader and messiah was killed, Something that is a mystery, it baffles historians all throughout history, is the fact that the disciples regrouped so quickly that this movement came from just 12 to hundreds to thousands to millions. The spread of Christianity is unprecedented, and where most religions stay within their culture and country of origin, Christianity has circled the planet several times over. Within a, a few hundred years, there was over 35 million people who proclaimed the death and resurrection of Jesus, and by A.D. 400, 
over half of the Roman Empire was Christian. And this wasn't the cool thing to do at the time yet. This hadn't become like the mainstream, you know, politically blessed thing. This got you uh, tortured and persecuted when people would try to push back. People died for it. All 12 of Jesus' disciples, uh, with Paul kind of entering in there as well, were killed for their faith and imprisoned and tortured and beaten. And these people were willingly dying for this belief and hope that Jesus' resurrection not only happened, but provided hope for them too. They didn't die because of an ignorant belief in a fairy tale. A select few people might have the strength to see that through and commit to a lie to the very end. But the majority, they died because they knew the resurrection was a historic fact. And it validated their hope in Jesus' message on forgiveness and salvation. So with all of these points, medical and historical evidence, the lack of a body, the empty tomb, the testimonies of Jesus' appearance, the rise of the early church, I, I love the way uh, Professor C.F.D. Mool from Cambridge points out that uh, resurrection of Jesus is a historical mystery that any historian must take seriously the explanation offered by the church. The Son of God conquered death. Thus concludes my lecture. Thank you for attending class. Okay, this matters because the resurrection validates everything Jesus said and did. It would make no sense to have a movement or a religion with somebody who's just preaching out all of these things of healing and miracles and teaching on care and relationship and love and compassion and sin and salvation and all of that just based off hocus pocus and lies but then pull off one great massive miracle conquering death and rising from the grave. No, that wouldn't happen. A famous quote said, if true, if Jesus conquered death, then it is the most important thing in the world. And if false, everything about it is meaningless. The Apostle Paul even pick up, picked up on this in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, where he states, if the resurrection is false, then the followers of Jesus are to be the most pitied people on earth. So this matters. The actual historical resurrection of Jesus matters to me and to you for two reasons. The first is hope. It provides us hope that nothing else in this world can even speak on. The fact that death is not the end and that resurrection is not this zombie-like horror story or this intangible floating in the clouds with harps and cream cheese kind of heaven, but that resurrection is actually this recreation and renewal. In Revelation 1.13, it describes a risen Jesus as he was dressed in a robe down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white as snow, glowing, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. This is not describing a man who is simply restored to his original condition, but a man made into something almost better. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, it's like the way things seem like they should have always been. It seems better by our sense of comparison, but really it's just the most proper way for a person to be made. There's something so much better that we can now have hope in. And even if you doubt the resurrection's validity, I, I would say that you should at least want it to be true. Because rather than this cliche saying of you only live once, I think Christianity offers a response that says you live twice but Yolt doesn't have a very good phonetic ring to it. We'll work on something better. We're no longer ruled by the finality of a car accident, by the tragedy of lung disease. Cancer is awful and terrible still, but it's not the ultimate end. It's why we can celebrate 
uh, at funerals, is why memorial services are celebrations of life, because we know that there is something past this point in time. And even more than just something that can happen at the end when our lights go out, resurrection has implications for your life and my life right now. Most of the New Testament and the Bible, the teachings, the writings, are about what the resurrection means for our life right now. In fact, most of the letters, as a church, we've been studying through the book of Galatians, they were written well before the gospel accounts were written and recorded down and circulated because at the time, the apostles and the disciples and the teachers and church planters wanted to talk about why Jesus' resurrection changes your life now and not just record a biography. That came later. It's the absolute final validation of the fact that there is a God who comes into this world, steps into our lives, and takes our place when we are owing a debt of guilt and sin. And instead, God offers himself as a sacrifice. And he follows through on his promises to protect and restore us. Romans 6.4 says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, God, we too might walk in the newness of life. So it provides us hope. The second thing that the resurrection provides us is freedom. And not freedom like what is such hot topic, clickbaity headline stuff right now of what we deserve and rights and freedom here and there, political this and that. A different kind of freedom. In fact, it's freedom from what we do deserve. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus' condemnation on sin is true in his entire ministry, everything he said about it. Jesus expects us to live a sin-free life or to move in that direction. And he knows that we cannot do that. That's why Jesus also offers us salvation from that sin. Jesus spoke on our sinful nature, something that psychologists have a category for a similar thing to they call the false self um, and you could make an endless list of all the different actions and thoughts that constitute a sin. It would, it would go on forever. People have done that. Some people still go by that, live by that. But I think the way Martin Luther said it uh, helps ring true for what is sin. The first commandment says it all, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And in Martin Luther's words, as this seems to be the root, in any way we sin, we prioritize ourselves over God. We believe we are in the utmost control. We are of the utmost importance. We have the utmost authority in our lives and others' lives, and we forsake a creator God who has actually given us commandments for living. So that sin that ruled our lives, the temptations, the guilt, the shame, the trials in our marriages, the darkness in our habits and our addictions, we now have a way out of that. We have a way to triumph over that. They, they may still be present in our world post-Jesus' resurrection, but they no longer rule our lives and they no longer condemn our souls. In Jesus' resurrection, we're offered renewal and recreation the same way Jesus was renewed and recreated. One author said, Christianity is a story about our lives being remade. There's a new way to be human and the hope we can have is not dependent on our abilities, but on God's abilities to work within us. So certainly, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, and he promises that same restoration from us, we can expect that level of faithfulness in our lives. Triumph from addiction, deliverance from guilt and shame and sin, and restoration from our past. God can make us new. So how do you respond this morning? How do you respond for the rest of the Easter weekend? 
I think there's two responses, and we see them in the gospel accounts of the resurrection directly, and I love it. So the first response is, like Mary did, and Thomas, and a few, many of the other disciples, you can doubt, as so many still do, and so many did. You can resist this, but my assumption is if you're here this morning, whether willingly or somebody dragged you to church on Easter Sunday, you're at least a little bit open to hearing the gospel message. And I invite you to challenge it. I invite you to not just let it be something that you don't care about because you don't like it. I invite you to take realistically all of the stuff that we've talked about that I've shared with you this morning, and there's so much more that this actually matters. Author Nabil Qureshi, who, gave, who grew up as a devout Muslim, strived to go into the practice to be a mosque leader, but he took a leap of faith one day and asked Jesus to reveal himself. And Nabil's life changed forever from that day when he had an irrefutable confrontation with the risen Jesus. And this is an experience that I haven't just read about, I've experienced with people in my life too. I had the pleasure of uh, doing a marriage for a young couple a couple years ago too, where that exact same thing happened. They said, I want to challenge this because it doesn't feel good to just let it be. This thing of Christianity seems so important, I don't currently believe it, so just ask Jesus to be part of his life. Reveal the gospel in a way that you've never experienced before. Don't be satisfied with your faith position, whether, whether just simply blindly for Jesus or against it in doubt. So you can doubt it. The second response is you can celebrate it. You can celebrate it like we do yearly at Easter, like we do weekly on Sunday services here where we worship our hearts out. I love the song we opened with this morning. I'm, the worship team is going to get tired of me requesting it constantly. But where the last verse says, Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross, darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and our life began. You can celebrate it the way in the Bible we see the gospel accounts, Matthew 28, 9, when Jesus, risen from the grave, came to his disciples, literally said hi to them. The Bible reads, they came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. John 21, 7, as soon as Peter recognized Jesus, he exclaimed, it is the Lord. And he leapt out of the boat and swam to the shore and went into the water to go and meet Jesus. This is our open invitation to you to either continue or for the first time start believing and following Jesus. And it starts with accepting the resurrection as real and applicable and true for you. That's the, that's the call to action this morning. That's the real thing. I love the way I saw a leap of faith or a step of faith put in a graphic one time. And it said, if you're falling from a ledge and you see a branch to grasp on, you can still have your doubts about its ability to hold you, but does that change the branch's ability to hold you at all in any way? What it really takes and it comes down to is your willingness to reach out and grab hold. So this is a church, we don't typically, we don't have the altar call kind of thing, but it does take a leap of faith. It takes a start, it takes a prayer, and it takes the willing step of actually moving into a relationship with Jesus. And I would love to invite you into that. Our leadership team will be present this morning as well. If that's something you are intrigued about or interested in, please come speak with me. This is an amazing thing. But maybe at the very least, at the end of this service, there's a few more voices joining us before we go on with our Easter weekend. When I say... He is, risen. he is risen. Amen. God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for this powerful story that upends everything we think we know about life. And you conquered death in a way that we didn't even expect. God, when we expected a Messiah coming, leading an army, he came humble. He came sacrificing. God, you came sacrificing. God, we just, this story is so incredible. 
Help us see the way it touches and impacts our lives. God, help us take this message into our friends' and our families' lives today and this week. Why was Easter so important? They can ask, and we can say, here's the reason. God, I just pray that you bless everybody as they leave this place, God, that the Easter weekend celebrations are only just beginning, and they are focused on you and your resurrection. God, thank you for what you have done for us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Have a great week, everyone. Good.